Today's date is Sunday, November 27th, 2022. We are reading from the big book of AA, pages three and four. Following that reading, we will have uh, our speaker, Farah L. Now we will read from the big book and Jeff has volunteered to read pages three and four today. Jeff? You're muted, Jeff. Darn, okay, I'm sorry. For the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way. I had arrived. My judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. The great boom of the late 20s was seething and swelling. Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. There was loud talk in the jazz places uptown. Everyone, everyone spent thousands and chattered in millions. Scoffers could scoff and be, and be damned. I made a host of fair weather friends. My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. Uh, the remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row, and I became a lone wolf. There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous, sumptuous apartment. There had been no real infidelity for loyalty to my wife, helped at times by extreme drunkenness, kept me out of those scrapes. In 1929, I contracted golf fever. We went at once to the country, uh, my wife to applaud, while well, I started, to, started out to overtake Walter Hagen. Liquor caught up with me much faster than I came up behind Walter. I began to be jittery in the morning. Golf permitted drinking every day and every night. It was fun to carome around the exclusive course which had inspired such awe in me as a lad. I acquired the impeccable coat of tan one sees upon the well-to-do. The local banker watched me whirl fat checks in and out of his till with uh, amused skepticism. Abruptly in October 1929, hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. After one of those days of inferno, I wobbled from a hotel bar to a brokerage office. It was eight o'clock, five hours after the market closed. The tickers still chattered. I was staring at an inch of tape, which bore the inscription XYZ32. It had been 52 that morning. I was finished and so were many friends. The, re, uh, the papers reported men jumping to death from the towers of high finance. That disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. My friends had dropped several million since 10 o'clock. So what? Tomorrow was another day. Uh, as I drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. Next morning, I telephoned a friend in Montreal. He had plenty of money left and thought I had better go to Canada. By the following spring, we were living in our accustomed style. I felt like Napoleon returning from Elba. No St. Helena for me. But drinking caught up with me again, and my generous friend had to let me go. This time we stayed broke. Thanks very much, Jeff. 
for reading. And that, now is, it is my pleasure to introduce today's speaker, Dara Hill. Good morning, Great. Dara. Good morning. Thank you so much. I'm just going to start my timer. Um, I'm going to start with a prayer. God, goddess, goddess, spirit of light and love, whatever is up there, out there, in me and in all others, please give me the courage and the strength to tell the truth about my disease today that I may help someone um, to find a deeper relationship with themselves and with you in sobriety and in abstinence. Amen. So my name is Dara L. I'm a recovered compulsive eater, anorexic and bulimic. I live in Philadelphia. Um, really grateful to be here. And thank you to um, Jeff for reading. I am um, a lot stood out to me in this paragraph, you know, and I was told that it's really important for me as a compulsive eater, anorexic and bulimic when listening to the big book to identify in. And I would invite you as I share about, um, you know, my particular experience, strength and hope, like, please um, look for what we have in common, not for what we don't, you know, if my particular disease matrix is different than yours, you know, I was, I was told that that doesn't really matter, right? It's about the fact that I have an allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. Um, and that through doing this spiritual work, I can find a relationship with a power that is the answer to my powerlessness. So um, I relate a lot to these paragraphs and, and I'm just gonna kind of pull out some of the sentences that really um, strike a chord with me and then share about how they manifested in, in my disease and in my life. So Bill talks about fortune throwing money and applause his way and feeling like he had arrived. And I wanna share, this is my fourth time recovered. So the fourth time that I've worked the steps in entire abstinence, had a spiritual awakening, recoiled from the food, um, had the obsession lifted. Uh, this is the, you know, and I'm almost two years um, abstinent at this point, but every other time, I went back into the disease and I think it often had to do with this feeling of um, arrival. You know, I would get where I thought I was supposed to get. I would look around me and I would be like, I'm still empty on the inside. What is this? And then I would turn to food because that was my higher power. And so I want to share just for a moment uh, before my last relapse, I was at five years of not binging and not purging. I had five years away from, you know, the self-inflicted misery of bulimia. And uh, my life looked great from the outside. I was winning awards. I was, you know, I mean, my career was doing really well. I was making more money than I'd ever made. And I remember later in these paragraphs, it talks about suicide. You know, one of um, my dear friend's daughters took her own life. You know, she died of suicide. And he called me to tell me, I was one of the first calls that he made. And he, you know, and he called me to tell me that. And I, my reaction on the surface was to do everything a good friend was supposed to do for someone. But inside, I remember having the feeling of, I wish I had the courage to do what she did. And I was, I was five years, no binging and purging, you know, but that's me as an untreated addict. You know, there is something about me that gets to a place of arrival and I still feel empty. You know, I still feel alone. I still feel that unfillable God hole. And so I always turn to food as my solution. It was never really, I mean, it became a problem, but it was always the thing that I turned to. It was my higher power. And so I relate to Bill, you know, this idea of, okay, well, if I just get the thing, if I just arrive, then I'll feel good. And then I would get there and I would arrive and I'd be like, well, this stinks. I still feel empty, you know? Um, 
And he talks about how drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in his life. I think for me as an anorexic, bulimic and compulsive overeater, like there are certain aspects of my disease that feel really exhilarating, like the anorexia piece, the restriction, like I feel high, I feel better than other people. I feel super exhilarated. Um, certainly, you know, there are certain foods that have made me feel high, but it, it's not very exhilarating or social to be like bent over a toilet, you know, making myself throw up. Right. So there were elements of my disease that were very isolating elements that made me feel very lonely. And like, I had to step outside of life. And then there were other elements of my disease where I felt like I belonged when I was doing those things, or I felt better than other people. Um, you know, and, and the highs that came, you know, from, from the acting out behaviors and from the specific substances for me, I was like, I was drunk. I was wandering through life, like a little bit drunk. And I think one of the differences between food and alcohol is that, um, you know, not everyone could tell when I was under the influence of food, but I knew you know, I knew that I was operating under the influence of food because it changed my personality. It made me someone different. I was, when I was restricting, I was more social. I was the center of every party. I was sleeping with everyone who would have me, you know, like I was out there, I was in life. And then when I was in the the purging stages of my disease, like you could not get me to leave the house. You couldn't pay me enough. Um, and as soon as that weight started climbing up on the scale, I, yeah, I wasn't going anywhere. And I, I appreciate that Bill talks about the host of fair weather friends. I didn't really know what friendship was. This is embarrassing, but I'll share it because I think it's a testament to how far God has brought me, but I have no friends from high school no friends from college, no friends from any of the workplaces that I was a part of. Um, I mean, I, I, I burned every bridge. I stole from people. I lied. I cheated. I binged and purged on friendships. I, you know, I, I did not know how to show up. I didn't know how to be a friend. I didn't value people. I thought people were disposable. Um, and my life reflected that. So I did, I had a lot of kind of, yeah, those fair weather friends. Like I was always the center of attention, had a ton of people around me, but then the minute that someone didn't like what I, or I didn't like what someone did or someone had an issue with me, I would be gone. Or the minute I was in another treatment facility, I've been in treatment 18 times for anorexia and bulimia. And so I would just peace out, you know, I would start over. I would, <laughs> I would think, oh, it's everyone's fault except mine. So I'm just going to dump all these friends. I'm going to get new people, new places, new things. I, I destroyed relationships. And, um, and as my eating and my purging and my restricting assumed more serious proportions, I did become a continual all day and all night eater. And it's interesting, you know, sometimes I forget this, this is a disease of incredibly short memory. And so I often forget things about my disease, but I was talking to someone yesterday and I was thinking about how I used to wake up in the morning and it started off with gum for me. I used to wake up in the morning and I would pop my first piece of gum and I would have something in my mouth from the moment that I was awake until the moment that I went to bed. And I did not know how to stop that cycle. And then like, again, with the embarrassment, uh, apparently artificial sweeteners and gum can cause incontinence. So once I started going to the bathroom on myself, I had to switch from gum to candy, but then I had candy in my mouth from the moment that I woke up until the moment I went to bed. Right. Like, and so 
over time, I was incapable of not having some sort of pacifier. I was incapable of not having something, you know, uh, to chemically alter me in order to show up and function. And I didn't really function all that well. And I became a lone wolf. And it's interesting, you know, there's still parts of my personality that I, I don't know. I don't know what's me and what's the disease. Like I, I tend to sometimes still struggle with isolation and I don't know until afterwards, like, am I isolating or am I just an introvert? You know, do I want to, do I really feel this way about the people around me or, or what have you? And, and I'm grateful that today I have a step 10 and 11 practice so that I can get some insights into like, what is my true self? Right. Cause I feel like Bill under the influence of alcohol came to be so divorced from who he really was on the inside. And that's my story too, you know, under the influence of food, under the influence of anorexia and bulimia, I lost myself and I became someone whose highs were really high and whose lows were really low, who manufactured relationships, who manufactured emotions. And, and I'm, I'm just dismantling that, right? With God's help as a 39-year-old woman who's like, okay, teach me how to live. Teach me how to live if I don't know how to do it. And um, and Bill talks about the many unhappy scenes. You know, I can share a couple of unhappy scenes from my own life. I remember as a 17-year-old getting kicked out of my house because I was binging and purging. And my mom gave me an ultimatum. And she was like, either you can do that here or you need to go. And I was like, well, then I'm going to go. And I moved out of my house with my then boyfriend who was a drug addict because I could not stop binging and purging at home. Um, There were times when I got caught, you know, in public facilities, um, binging and purging my roommates in college, you know, who wouldn't use the upstairs bathroom because it was the bathroom that I used. And it was disgusting times when my volleyball coach had to burst through my bedroom door and found me surrounded by food. You know, it was, it was demoralizing times when I would look people in the eyes and lie about the fact that I'd eaten and they knew I hadn't, you know, I was 96 pounds at one point. I'm five foot seven and a half. I was dying and it was visible, you know, and um, and yeah, it, it was demoralizing my, at one point, my colon shut down. I was in the hospital, you know, I was probed and poked and all sorts of things because I couldn't go to the bathroom because of the abuse that I visited on my body. Um, and I thought, oh my gosh, I will never, ever, ever do that again. And then within a couple of days or a couple of weeks, I would be back. I would be back in the cycle. I could not stop. And so I really relate to Bill. Um, And I relate to, he talks about golf permitted drinking every day and every night. You know, one thing that I did was I structured my life to support my disease. And the moment I knew I was getting better was when I started to structure my life to support my recovery. Um, But I didn't even realize at the time that that's what I was doing, that I chose you know, I chose to be an entrepreneur in many ways because it meant that I didn't have to show up nine to five. And I, I was in my disease incapable of showing up anywhere on time and doing what I said I was going to do and being consistent. And so, yeah, like I built a life that didn't require that of me. Um, I built a life that didn't, I, I don't have kids. I'm 39 years old. I'm not married and I don't have children. And I think a large part of that had to do with the bulimia that I was like, I'm not capable of being a consistent source of love in anyone else's life. I'm not capable, you know, I'm also a sex and love addict, thankfully recovered from that today, but I couldn't, I couldn't keep my word. Right. So I cheated on everyone I'd ever been with. I, 
I, I, I was so unreliable and, and yet I was so, um, single-mindedly in pursuit of the disease. And I think like, that's what I hear in Bill's story, right? All these things about him, like that he, he found ways, he was innovative, he was ingenious, he was inventive, he was convincing, right? Like he convinced people to believe in him. Lois is going like, you know, applauding on the golf, on the golf course for her husband, who's meanwhile, like out at the bars and whatever. Like, I think addicts are charismatic and lovable, but our own worst enemies. And what I found, you know, as Bill's story goes on is he really talks about how all these things that he once used in service of his disease get used in service of his recovery. And that has been my experience with God that like, you know, my obsessive compulsive nature funneled in the direction of recovery has helped a lot of people, you know, my, my sort of, uh, independence, spirit and willingness to be different in service of recovery has helped me and a lot of people, you know, but it, but once under the influence of the disease, God help anyone who gets in my path, you know? Um, and I, and then when he talks about, when Bill talks about, um, wobbling from the hotel bar and about all hell breaking loose, um, and these external circumstances, I'm reminded of how the big book tells me that external circumstances are not the cause or the conditions of my disease, right? Like they, it's my internal condition that causes me to act out, to violate my values and my ideals, to, to destroy myself with food, to eat in a suicidal manner, right? It's my insides. It's the bedevilments. It's that, that restlessness, irritability, and discontentment. And having said that, my external circumstances do have an impact on my inner condition. And, you know, at this point in the, in the big book, Bill is talking about how he's looking at other people take their lives and he's disgusted. But by later on in the big book, spoiler alert, you know, that starts to be really attractive to him. And I shared earlier about how um, prior to my last relapse, I was really suicidal. Um, that wasn't the case in the beginning. You know, in the beginning, bulimia saved my life. It was the thing that gave me a reason to get out of bed in the morning. It made life bearable and worth living. But by the end, it stopped working. It, the, the effect had worn off and I kept trying for that same effect. And every once in a while I would get it, you know, they talk about this disease being like a game of Russian roulette and over time more bullets are in the chamber and it gets more and more dangerous. But for me, it was also the experience of like, there, there were less highs in the chamber over time. You know, like I, I remember at the beginning of my disease, every time like clockwork, you know, I could achieve that effect, that high, that escape from the inner unmanageability of my life. But by the end, I was, I was crying while binging and purging. Like it wasn't taking the edge off for me. I didn't want to be doing it, but I, I had to, um, and same thing, you know, at the beginning of my disease, I, I was, I wanted to be in life. I really did. But towards what I hope and pray is the end of my disease. And I don't know, you know, cause it is contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. So I have to continue to do this work one day at a time or else I, my experience tells me I will go back into addiction. Um, but towards the end of my disease, you know, I was actively suicidal. I was desperately and actively suicidal. And, and it wasn't for me like that went away the minute I got abstinent either. 
I came back to program because for the first time in my life, I gained 30 pounds. And as a bulimic anorexic, I was like, oh, this is this, I, I can't do this. And I wanted to kill myself, but I was unwilling to be fat in my casket. And so I thought I would come back to OA, I would work the steps, I would lose the weight, and then I could commit suicide. And that was my grand plan, you know? And so this disease is progressive and it is painful. And something that I would think is a, oh, I'll never do that or that disgusts me. I know from experience that I I have the capacity within me to go anywhere. This disease has the capacity to drag me down really dark and painful and terrifying alleys. And, you know, there, there is always a bottom beneath the bottom and this disease is a shapeshifter. So I think about that, but I also think about how Bill talks about as he drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. And that was also my experience. Like I, the minute that I stopped binging or purging, or I cut out certain alcoholic foods and ingredients, I was like a junkie jonesing for their fix. You know, I was just, I felt so itchy on the inside. I had to get it. I had to find it. I had to do, you know, do the behavior. I had to get the substance. But then as soon as I started to get it, I'd be like, the diet starts tomorrow. Like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. And I would start this plan. You know, I have so many journals that I stopped and started where I was like, here is my, you know, this is my outline of everything that I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I'd be binging while like planning how I was going to stop binging. And then I would stop binging and I would start planning how I was going to binge. Right. And for me, that was the powerlessness and the unmanageability is that I could not, I couldn't keep my promises to myself. And every time it felt like I changed my mind, it just felt like, oh, Yesterday, I know I said I would do anything to not binge and purge. I would not eat sugar. I would not, you know, do these things. Um, but then I would wake up and be like, oh, that was stupid. I'll just, just another time. You know, I'll start on Monday. I'll wait until the first of the year. I'll wait until my birthday. You know, whatever, whatever excuse I told myself, I am Bill, right? Um, and I appreciate that even though consequences are not the reason that I acted out, even though people can come in here having lost nothing, for me, as someone who declared bankruptcy as a result of my compulsive eating, as someone who, uh, they say jails, institutions, and death, I've been institutionalized 18 times, I've been arrested as a result of this disease, um, you know, for me, the consequences are useful because they teach me my powerlessness, right? Like I know that I am a person who in most other areas of my life can take a hint when things don't go well a few times. I'm like, oh, maybe I won't do that again. But for me, you know, losing everything wasn't a deterrent. It didn't stop me. And so knowing that helps me to know today that I needed a power greater than myself. And it had to be a power greater than convincing, greater than intellectualizing, greater than, you know, kind of talking myself out of things. It has to be a power that I tap into on a daily basis that gives me the ability to do what I could never do, which was to stop the behaviors and to stay stopped from the behaviors and the ingredients that activate the physical allergy. But then beyond that, right, to give me a way of living life with my own unmanageable mind and to live according to my ideals, which we're not at that point in the big book yet. So I won't share about that, but it really recovery is worth it. Like it gives me the capacity to be the person that I want to be today and to sit on the zoom screen in front of you and be able to share about my previous life and feel like a person who has been reborn. And I do know that 
I could go back. I could go back to the disease at any time it lives in me. Um, but I don't want to, you know, today I, I, I don't want to. And as long as I continue to grow in my understanding of God and my relationship with God, which PS can be whatever it is that, that we believe in as, as individual people and can evolve over time, you know, that relationship gives me the ability to want to show up for life. I'm not suicidal anymore. I actively want to participate in life. I do have friends. They're not fair weather friends. Um, and I'm learning, I'm getting to know myself. Um, and getting to know this God that I at one point didn't believe in and then came to hate. And now I love God and uh, God is the central fact of my existence today. So anyways, with that, I'll pass. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you, Dara, so much for your share.